Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Rokel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano, and I want to let you know about a couple of things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at Fifth Avenue Cinema on Burrard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament, and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christcitychurch.ca or you can visit christcitychurch.ca slash Kitsilano. The scripture reading today is taken from Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, 20 to 22, 29 to 33. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand word of insight, to receive instruction is wise dwelling in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and, and a saying, the word of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the knowledge. Fully, fools despise Wisdom and instruction. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple one, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the food of their way, and they have their fill of their own devices. For the simple and are killed by their turning away, and the competency of fool destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure, and will be at ease without dread of disaster. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. Uh, my name is Brant, pastor here at Christ City Church, and again, it's my joy to welcome you uh, here uh, to our time of worship together. As we come now to the book of Proverbs and the beginning of a new series, um, the thing that is most important is that we pray. So I'll invite you to pray with me as we turn to the Word. Gracious Father, we come to you, and we come in the confident joy of beloved children. Lord, we come knowing that you are a father who loves us, who instructs us for our good, who desires, even if we have not come to know you yet, that we would come to know you. That we would come to know your generosity and your love. Uh, for, that, for those of us that, that do know you, that we would heed your instruction and your discipline, that we would grow wise, that we would live uh, well and prudently in this world and in the lives that you've given us. And God, it's our desire that we would grow in our own obedience to you, that you would be glorified here, that many would come to know and to love Jesus as their Savior because um, of our faithfulness to you. So would you help us to that end now? As we turn to your word, would you instruct us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, today, as I said, we are beginning a new series. We finished the Goodness of Jesus series. We've now begun our Proverbs series. And I realize I've made a mistake. 
don't begin a new series on a long weekend. Well, the introduction, you know, when, when, when many, many folks aren't present, well, too bad. Here we are. Um, we'll have to tell people to listen to this sermon, I suppose. Uh, but moving from the goodness of Jesus series to the book of Proverbs series um, is a pretty significant change. And Alvin and I were even joking this week that, that I don't know that there would be a more disorienting series to start, actually, for all of you uh, or for myself uh, in my own preaching prep this week. It's almost like, like we've been picked up and dropped unceremoniously now into a foreign culture in Bukhara, Uzbekistan. You know, and it's like, what am I doing here? I don't know the culture. I, I was so familiar with the place that we were. And, and, and like, how do we, how do we do this now? It's a different place entirely. It's different as we start to read this book, and in many ways it's different. After all, the book of Proverbs is ancient. It's around 3,000 years old. It's an old text. It's from an ancient culture and writing style, a Hebrew writing style, Hebrew poetry that's very much not like the last bestseller that you read. It's different. It's, it's, it's hard to, to grapple with. You, you read it, and even as you read it, you're like, I think I need to read this slower. I need to just chew over what's being said and think about it before I can make any progress. But I hope to show you today that despite these things, that Proverbs is a wonderful book that you should read, that you should study even, that you should take time in your lives to read regularly and to learn from in order to grow in wisdom. Conveniently, there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. And you know what? There are 31 days in the month of July. And I know I know it's not the first today, it's the second, but if you even started today or tomorrow, uh, you could read through the book of Proverbs, a chapter a day, roughly in line with our series, which will end at the end of August. So I'd encourage you to do that. Read through the book of Proverbs as we're studying Proverbs. And then even conveniently, maybe begin to think about weaving it into your regular Bible reading. You can read a proverb a day, a chapter a day, along with your Bible reading. It works very, very well, and it would benefit you very, very much. So it's foreign, it's different, it's wonderful, but it's not as foreign as it might at first seem. We've become familiar in the last series, we've been in the goodness of Jesus, in the ways that that the good news of the gospel is that God has come to us in the person of Jesus to, to save us, to draw us into his life. He's come to sinners to save them and bring them into life. But you know what? That's also the purpose of Proverbs. It's a word for sinners that they would turn from foolishness and be saved and come and to grow in life. The goal of Jesus is life for lost sinners. The goal of Proverbs is life for lost sinners. Makes sense? One God writing the whole Bible. There's continuity to this thing. There's much in this book for us today and that I think will benefit you very, very much. This morning, we're going to jump in. And we're going to jump in by orienting ourselves to the book of Proverbs by exploring three simple questions. Number one, what is the book of Proverbs? Number two, what is the fear of the Lord? A very significant phrase throughout the book. And number three, why do we need the book of Proverbs? So we're going to unpack these three things, and I hope that... um, It will at least be whetting your appetite for the series to come. So let's consider our first question. What is the book of Proverbs? And take a look at verse 1. Verse 1 
starts this way. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. Now, the book of Proverbs is largely the collection of Solomon's wise sayings, his parables, his riddles, and his Proverbs. Say largely because there's a couple other sections in the book of Proverbs you need to know. 25 verse 1 introduces a section that's been collected by King Hezekiah, another king of Judah. Chapter 30 are the sayings of someone named Agur. And 31 is the wisdom of King Lemuel, whoever that was. Uh, But these are now included in this collection. And Proverbs is wisdom literature. And this verse 1 tells us it was written largely, as we've said, by Solomon, who was the son of David and the king of ancient Israel. If you want to read about his story, you can find it in the book of First Kings. And famously, what happened in Solomon's life was that as a young man, he loved his God, loved the Lord like his father, David, the most famous king uh, in the history of Israel. And one day the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and asked Solomon, what he might give him. And Solomon replied with these words, And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. It's a Hebrew way of saying I don't know anything. (laughs) Don't know how life works yet. And yet I'm king, so help me here. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? Solomon realized the task that had been given to him, and he wanted not just to know some truths, he wanted to be able to lead people into a blessed way of life and a flourishing kingdom so things would go well for him and for all these people. And God was pleased with Solomon's unselfish, and humble request. And not only did God then answer Solomon's prayer and give him great wisdom and this understanding mind to govern well, he also blessed Solomon with the things that he had not asked for, with wealth and with long life, with great success in all that he did. And that's who Solomon is. And that's the author, largely, of the book of Proverbs, which is the account or the, the collection of his wisdom. But there's another question that we probably should ask, and it's just simply this, maybe more fundamentally, what is wisdom? It's not a word that we use a lot, is it? Today in our culture, actually, the word wisdom, which is maybe a popular word in in an older time, has fallen out in favor in our technological age of other words, other words that are preferred, words like knowledge, words like skill. We prize those things, I think, even more than we prize wisdom. But wisdom is very different from knowledge or from skill in some pretty significant ways. It's different because you can be highly knowledgeable and highly skilled, but still live badly. But you can't be truly wise and live badly. Because to be wise is to learn to live well. How many people have you seen or witnessed in life who've been very, very successful, maybe accumulated a lot of knowledge, they have double PhDs in their field, maybe a couple of different fields, and they're highly skilled, maybe the best surgeon in the country, but their lives are a wreck. When it comes to their passions, they have no self-control. When it comes to their relationships, everybody kind of hates them. 
because it's a mess. They don't live well despite their skill and despite their knowledge. There's a great example of this, of course, and that's just in the history of the world. Look at Germany. Sorry if you're German. Uh, But Germany was the most educated nation on earth and yet started two world wars and had a holocaust. Wisdom, living well, is different than knowledge. It's different than mere knowledge. That's important. Wisdom involves knowledge, certainly, but it's much more than that. It's the art of living life well and practically. But as you know, that's not easy. Living life well is pretty hard. It's pretty hard. And even if you've already become a follower of Jesus, you've, you've confessed that you're a sinner, that you're in need of God's grace, you've received forgiveness, you've begun to study the word of God, to learn to live your life by it, you still encounter these situations in life where like, I don't know what to do here. This is beyond me. Uh, I, I need to, to grow in, in, in wisdom to help me figure this out. Because when it comes to my child pursuing foolish things that will hurt them, uh, and it, the child doesn't seem to listen to what I say, no matter what I say, I just am at a loss. I don't know what to do. And it requires wisdom. Or you come to a place when you're caught in the middle of a conflict between friends that you love and that you respect. And you're like, I, I know a lot of things from the Bible, but I don't know what to do in this situation. It's a, it's a crisis where you need wisdom. Or you're maybe offered a new job, but you have to move. And you're like, I don't know how to weigh the pros and cons of moving or staying. You need wisdom. When life doesn't go as you planned, you thought it was all going to work out, but you've been following Jesus and disaster seems to be striking out of nowhere. Like, how do I make sense of all of this? And in those places, you need wisdom. Wisdom for how life works best. Wisdom to know practically what to do in all of these situations. And there's good news for us, though, as we are now looking to explore Proverbs and to grow in wisdom. The good news is that the creator God of heaven and earth, he hasn't founded this world on chaos. Praise God. There is order and there is structure to the reality that he has created an order and a structure that can be learned. For example, if you learn the laws of aerodynamics, you can create an airplane that will obey the laws and the fabric of reality and fly in the air. If you ignore those laws, you're going to have a problem with your airplane. But if you learn to to operate by those laws, it's going to go well for you. The same way you can learn the laws of gravity. You can build buildings that won't topple over suddenly. If you build according to the design of of gravity and the laws that God has created in this world. In the same way, there is an order to the moral universe and the order of how life is meant to be lived that God's created. And you can learn God's wisdom to know how to live according to how he's created this world. So your life would flourish rather than come to disaster. I saw a video recently um, of resonance. It was a physics video, just a cool illustration of resonance. And it was one tuning fork tuned, uh, I think it was A440, so 440 hertz vibrating. And then as it was brought next into proximity with another tuning fork, this one started to go off and vibrate right along even with with the other one, even though it hadn't uh, been touched by the other one. 
Becoming wise is kind of like that. It's the process of being tuned to the laws of God's reality. Becoming tuned to the laws of God's reality so that your life vibrates and and flourishes and overflows with the same life and abundance that is in God. Isn't that beautiful? The same overflowing life that God has, our lives begin to resonate with in this world that we live in. Becoming wise about so internalizing that reality of who God is and the, the moral fabric of this world that even when you enter into life's complex situations, you've been tuned to him. You can start to work out in these complex dynamic situations what would be the wise and the good path that would lead to flourishing life, even when things aren't black and white. But resonating with God's wisdom, it doesn't just happen overnight. See, it's not like learning the answers to a test. You can't become wise by memorizing and cramming in the evening and then starting to live wise in the morning. Wisdom requires a life of discipline. Wisdom is about becoming a certain kind of person formed in your character, tuned to the reality of God. Solomon talks about this in verses 2 to 3, and actually throughout the whole book. But in verses 2 to 3, he starts to unpack some of the purpose of the book, and he says this. Proverbs is this. It's to know. It's for the purpose of knowing wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, and justice, and in equity. So what's Proverbs for? What is to grow in wisdom, particularly as we are tuned this, to this wisdom and reality of God and his righteousness and his justice and equity. But in these two verses, a very important word is used two times. It's the word instruction. And that word instruction in the book of Proverbs is used tw- uh, 26. I'm, I'm going to misspeak for a second here. 36 times. It's a very key idea. And I think when we hear it, we misunderstand it. I think when we hear the word instruction, we think of it like, like the instructions to Ikea furniture, right? It's like, oh, instructions. I just got to like open it up and, you know, kind of follow it and accumulate some knowledge and it will all go okay, right? Or we think about it like the instructions that we followed to make dinner last night. Open up the book, read a little bit, everything's going to go fine, bada bing, bada boom, dinner's there. But that's not what this word means. The word is musar in Hebrew, and it's a key word in the book, and it can be translated discipline, training, correction. So to become wise, we need to be disciplined. We need to be submitted and to willingly submit to an instructor, one who can train us and speak to us to stop our innate foolishness and waywardness that runs off the path of life. To bring all those things back in line under his goodness and his life. I mean, that's me, man. (laughs) I need that discipline. Many of you know that I really love gardens. It's one of the things I'm becoming as I get older passionate about, but I, I don't have much of a garden. I'm on the fifth floor, but I, I appreciate them. And it's amazing for me to witness the ways that, that people learn the rules of horticulture. They become experts at cultivating 
gardens and fields and taking what would have been a wild overgrown place and suddenly it's just this place that's exploding and overflowing with abundant life. Van Dusen Garden is a great example in Vancouver. And Van Dusen Garden's slogan is where life flourishes. When you walk through that carefully tilled and cultivated and disciplined garden, you're blown away by its richness and its depth. But Van Dusen, just like the wise person, didn't just happen. Not overnight. Van Dusen required years of carefully pulling up weeds. Years and years of gardeners out there training the plants to grow in particular ways. Years and years of planners overseeing it so that all the elements of that garden were submitted to the design so that it would grow up and flourish in a particular way. And if it was left untrained, man, that place would be nothing special. It would be overrun with Himalayan blackberries. We're all used to seeing overrun everything in Vancouver where it's left uncultivated. And I think that's a really excellent image for us of what discipline is in the book of Proverbs. Because we need to hear rebukes, Christ City. From the word of God, in community, together, submitting to one another, submitting to the word, to be formed and changed. We need reproofs. We need to be corrected. We need to have a life of discipline so that the weeds of our lives are, are pulled up so that we become tuned to the wisdom of God. So we become wise. Or to use an old word that Solomon uses so that we would become prudent. Let's look at verse 4. Solomon says, as he continues about the purpose of Proverbs, it's to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Prudence is an old word, and we probably don't even know what it means. But what, what prudence means, for people that aren't used to using the word prudence, is just to have skill in knowing how to handle a particular situation the right way. To enter into, again, something complex and, and to know the right thing to do. And to give prudence to the simple is part of this purpose of Proverbs. And the simple are really all of us. It's people who are wandering through life and wondering, which way should I go? Where should I turn? How can I live well? I don't know. And Solomon says, come here. Submit to discipline and instruction. Come learn. And I will make you wise. Heed the word of God. And if you're thinking, you know what? I don't need that. I'm already very, very wise, Brant. I know perfectly well how to live my life. Don't you worry. Verses 5 to 6, Paul, uh, Solomon says this. Not Paul. Paul. I think I almost said Paulaman. Solomon says this. Let the wise hear an increase in learning. So even if you already are wise and have a lot of experience living life well, come to the book of Proverbs and grow in wisdom. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. The ancient peoples loved mysteries. And they loved riddles. They loved the complexities of life. And growing in wisdom even means that you become to understand the deep mysteries of life. It's a very beautiful thing. So what is the book of Proverbs in summary? Well, it's the collection of mostly Solomon's wisdom offered in particular to the youth, to the simple for those who don't know how to live well, to help them accept discipline and instruction. 
to train them to live their lives well according to the moral ordering of God's world. This is what the book of Proverbs is. This is what we're in for. It's going to be good for us. But on that journey to become a wise person, there is a starting place, a fundamental necessity. And that's in our next question, what is the fear of the Lord? And we'll look at verse 7. The necessity for growing in wisdom is this. It starts here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, one thing you might not know is that Israel's neighbors had books of wisdom too. This is a book in a particular genre of which there were many different kinds. The Sumerians had the instructions of Shuropak. And the Akkadians had the councils of wisdom. The Egyptians had loads of different books. And they also had cool names. One of them was the instruction of Amenemepi. Amen, Amenomepi. Amenemepi. I can't say it, but it's got a cool name. Ask Parker afterwards, he'll tell you. And there's much in these collections that's genuinely insightful. In reading them, you can appreciate, man, these people really devoted themselves to learning from the experience of the aged, to trying to understand the ways that life did tend to operate best, just living in this natural world and, and becoming acquainted with its reality. Things like, don't lie. It goes better for you when you tell the truth. And actually, faithfulness in your marriage is good for you and it's good for your kids and it's good for society. And, and lots of this stuff that we'd see in Proverbs was in those books and they just kind of gleaned it by trying hard to pay attention to the experience of how life works. And they wrote some of that stuff down. But when Solomon says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, <laughs> he's setting apart the book of Proverbs fundamentally in its own category different from the wisdom of the ancients. You know why it was different? Because it wasn't just about human experience. Solomon's saying, there's a God and his name is Yahweh. He's a transcendent creator God over all things. And he's spoken to us. Right? He, he made the world that you live in. So listen to him. If you want to live well, and get beyond the, the boundaries that human experience can, can educate you in, you need to look to God. Because he understands mysteries and depths to life that you can't even begin to fathom. So wisdom starts with hearing from him. He knows the world you live in. He knows you. He knows how it must operate. And Solomon, as a good Israelite, he knew very well where that word of God, of that transcendent God, could be heard and studied and obeyed. It was in the word of the law of God in the Old Testament in our Bibles. It was Holy Scripture. So Christ City, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If that's true, what it means is that to grow in wisdom that would lead to a life well lived, you must, you must humble yourselves 
to listen to God's voice in his word. Step number one, humble yourselves to listen to God's word in the Bible. Fools despise wisdom and instruction, Paul, uh, Solomon says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. But the fear of the Lord, it sets apart biblical wisdom from its contemporaries for another reason. Because it locates this wisdom in a particular story. It locates this wisdom in Israel's special relationship, their covenant relationship with God. Capital L-O-R-D in your Bibles is the English way of translating the Hebrew name of God revealed to Moses. The name Yahweh, sometimes pronounced Jehovah. And that's what is talked about here when Solomon uses the covenant name of God who revealed himself to a particular people. It's the name that God revealed to Moses when he determined to rescue his people, the people of Israel from Egypt. And that name, it it evokes his loving commitment to rescue and preserve and save his particular people. He would be their God, he said. They would be his people. It's this unique, precious thing in the Old Testament, in the Bible. But his name also reminded them of all that he had done to save them from Egypt. And if you've read the book of Exodus, which we're going to get to uh, later on in the fall or early into next year, you're going to realize that the God of the Bible is not the God that you see on the precious moments cards. He's not. Because we've so toned down God, the God of the Bible, I think, in our culture today, even as Christians, that he bears little resemblance to the God of the Bible. He's soft and he's cute and he's cuddly. He doesn't scare us or offend us at all. But that's not the God of the Bible. See, the God of the Bible didn't show up as a puppy dog, all cute and cuddly to rescue his people. He showed up in plagues, the destroying angel, pillars of cloud and fire, leading the people through the wilderness as they exited Egypt. He opened up the Red Sea and let them cross. Then he closed it again and he crushed the Egyptian armies that were following behind. He showed his definitive power and authority and greatness over all the people of Egypt and over the gods that Egypt worshipped. He said, I am Yahweh. I love you and I am for you. I have rescued you, but I am a God to be feared. To the God who loved and saved these people, he was awesome and terrifying in his power. You got to imagine the people of Israel, the waters just crashed down on the Egyptians. They're standing on the shore. What would they feel? I think they'd be blown away that this God had loved them and saved them, but they would be quivering, witnessing his divine power, his authority, and his greatness. And they trembled before him. And it's for that reason, Christ said, that when we read the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we should not delete the word fear. See, our God is a mighty God who judges sin. And ultimately, he will destroy 
all who persist in their opposition to him. We live in this wonderful period of grace. God does not desire that any should perish. He wants everyone to come and know him, to know the forgiveness and love that he offers. But there will be a day when Jesus returns. There will be a day of judgment. And though I think we maybe personally and subjectively struggle to hold fear and love together, the Bible doesn't share our struggle. In Deuteronomy 10, 20 to 22, before the people enter into the promised land, Moses instructs the people of Israel in their relationship with Yahweh. I'm going to read verse 12, then I'll read the 20 to 21. Moses says to these people who've now been rescued from Egypt and wandered through the wilderness for 40 years and are coming into the promised land, he says, And now, Israel, what does your Lord, your God, require of you? He requires that you fear the Lord, your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord, your God, with all your heart, and with all your soul. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. So what is the fear of the Lord? Put on the slides. So you can hopefully keep it in your mind. It's knowing that Yahweh truly loves us. He's come to us in the person of Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. He loves you. He is for you in unbelievable ways. The fear of the Lord is to know that Yahweh truly loves us. It's also to know that opposing him is truly terrifying. With the result that we loyally hold fast to all his words, Christ City. That we obey him. That we are loyal to him and to him alone. Because he is our God. And there is none like him. You know, the fear of the Lord in the story of the Bible is this powerful thing. And when people are characterized by it, man, they're set apart. It changes their lives in these radical ways. They are equipped to walk with wisdom and courage regardless of all the voices calling them into ways of foolishness. There's great examples of this time and again. The Hebrew midwives in Exodus 1, they said that they feared Yahweh. You know what they did in Exodus 1? They refused to listen to Pharaoh when he says, kill the Hebrew boys. They says, nope, consequences aside, we won't do it. We're committed to Yahweh. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when exiled in Babylon, they feared Yahweh and in loving devotion to him, they refused to bow their knees to Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue. And they were thrown into the fiery furnace. But even before they were thrown in the furnace, they said in Daniel 3, 17 to 18, they said to Nebuchadnezzar, our God whom we serve and whom we fear and who we love, he's able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Isn't that glorious? They're like, God, can, he can deliver us. He's that powerful and good. But look, even if he doesn't, he's worth us laying our lives down in loyalty and commitment to him. We fear him and him alone. 
And there's many, 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 many stories of those who were full of the fear of the Lord, who lived their lives consistently loyal to Yahweh, who lived wisely, all because they feared him. See, there's nothing more important to you right now, to you becoming wise, than growing in the fear of the Lord. It's the most important thing we'd be talking about right now. See, without the fear of the Lord, you will compromise. You will churn aside when other voices say, come, life is over here. You won't stay faithful and you won't stay tied to the path of wisdom in the Bible. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So let me ask you, do you fear the Lord? Is Jesus a God who is full of love and compassion, but is also a big enough God for you to be afraid of? One who has all authority, but is good. One who judges sin. Or have you become complacent, perhaps to your own sin and your own disobedience to him, and you no longer regard his instruction and his discipline in your life? You see, Christ City, Solomon's life itself is a cautionary tale in the story because Solomon did not end his life well. He didn't continue to listen to the instruction of Yahweh. He turned away from Yahweh to idols. He did it because he allowed all these other voices to come in into his life as he grew in prosperity and comfort. And he grew complacent to his sin. And he no longer accepted discipline and instruction. And yet, we still must heed his warning at the end of chapter 1 when he says, the simple are killed by their turning away. Solomon, life, his life ended in disaster because he turned away from the instruction of Yahweh. He says, the complacency of fools destroys them. Complacency is when you let that false sense of security lead to laziness and rest in your life. But the promise is that whoever listens to me, to wisdom, will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. This leads to our last question. Why we need the book of Proverbs. We need the book of Proverbs because we need to be sternly warned to turn aside from our foolishness and come and learn from the wisdom of God. Look at verses 20 to 22. Wisdom cries aloud in the street, writes Solomon. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? I love this image. Throughout the book, especially the first nine chapters, wisdom is personified by Solomon as the most attractive and beautiful and glorious of women. She's depicted as outshining every other voice and every other false offer of pleasure in life. And here she's literally roaming the streets, pleading with anybody who will listen to come and to heed her words, to have true life and turn away from the folly that's leading them to disaster. And this image is beautiful, I think, because it tells us something about who God is. God is the God in the Bible 
who wants to help us. No matter how big the hole that you've got yourself into, no matter how complex the situation you're facing in your life, no matter how foolish you've been, God is a kind and loving God and he wants to help you. The question is, will you listen to him? And our problem, the problem that Solomon and the Proverbs explores, is that so often we don't. So often instead we turn to foolish counselors who reject God and his wisdom and counsel us to do the same. So often we turn aside and are swept away by our own undisciplined desires. I want what I want when I want it. Solomon warns the boys that he's writing to, the simple he's writing to, about two of those powerful voices in these first nine chapters. The voice of, of the community, of the friends that say, hey, get wealthy this way. And unethical and dangerous in, in ways that are immoral. And he warns about the, the desire of sex saying, hey, you know, watch out for the unchaste woman who's going to pull you aside and say, get it easy. Just live for pleasure. It's going to be fine. But both of those voices appeal deeply to the desires that are already innate to these young and simple youth. And in the same way, we can be pulled aside by our strong desires, pulled away from God and his wisdom. So here's the question with such powerful voices calling us away from God and his wisdom. How can we possibly grow to listen to wisdom? You know how we can begin? By growing to know and love Jesus. See, Jesus came to win you to the wisdom of God. He didn't do it with a platform. as a new guru with a speaking engagement. He came to win us with his humility and his love for us. His love that was willing to suffer with us and for us. His love that was willing to lower himself from the power and glory that he had as almighty God to become a humble Galilean carpenter. A God of wisdom who was willing to die on the cross in place of the consequences that you deserve for all of your sinful and foolish decisions. And the question is, what other teacher would do that for you? There isn't one. No other teacher would bear the consequences of your foolishness like Jesus willingly has. See, only the all-wise and all-loving and all-powerful God would do that. And that sets him apart from every other person that says, Come, listen to me. I'll show you how to live. So let me invite you this summer to explore the book of Proverbs together with us. To learn to become wise. There's urgency here. Because our mission in this neighborhood to win our friends and our family to become followers of Jesus requires that we become a wise people. It requires that we grow to follow Jesus, to fear the Lord, to be exclusively loyal and devoted to the God who's revealed himself and his word to us so that we would have life. I want to just close with the words of Jesus, the wisest of all, who said this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. John 10 verse 10. 
Don't listen to the voice of the thief, Christ City. Listen to the voice of Jesus through his word. Let's pray. Lord, your word is very good. It challenges us. It instructs us. Lord, you are a God that's loving and good enough to rebuke us. And actually, we just want to rejoice that that's what you do because in our culture, um, we don't have a lot of that. And it's awesome that that you are a guide and a father and an instructor for us that, that can show us the good way to life who's willing to speak honestly to us. So thank you. We praise you for that. Would you help us to listen? Would you help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, to know how wonderful and good he is, so we'd be encouraged to follow him with our whole lives? It's in his name we pray. Amen.